This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent, and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, Do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. And this is the first of a two-part series on this particular speech. This is mostly due to the length of the speech itself, but also because there's a tone change between the first and second halves of it that I think is a natural place to pause and collect ourselves and think about it over over the week and and come back next week and and discuss a little bit more. You may recognize that voice. You may have even seen this film. This is Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin was born April 16th, 1889 in London, England, and he died December 25th, 1977 in Switzerland at the age of 88. First off, I didn't realize that Charlie Chaplin lived as long as he actually did. I didn't realize that he was alive well into the 70s, and was actually probably alive when many of our parents were actually coming of age themselves. And of course, for those who don't know, Charlie Chaplin was an actor, a director, a composer, and pretty much all things related to film. And he spent actually more than seven decades in the industry, and even co-founded his own distribution company to maintain complete creative control over his films. And this was a very shrewd business move on his part, and one that allowed him to explore the satirical space and also to provide controversial points of view to those who watched his films. This movie, that I'll talk about here in a moment, was no exception. And that is exactly what he did with the film in question today, which goes by the title The Great Dictator. I know that this episode is going to come out the day after Election Day in the United States. And if you haven't been living under a rock for the last half a decade or so, you know that elections have become a very tumultuous thing in the United States. I know they have been in the past, 
but they certainly, for those of us that are my age and, and even some that are older, these are some of the more contentious times that we've experienced. And it wasn't deliberate that this comes out the day after the American election cycle, but I think it's fitting. And I think it's going to, hopefully, as it did for me, shape a little bit of the way that you think about elections and a way that you think about leadership and, and things of that nature, especially when it comes to national leadership and also high-profile positions of power. Before we get to that, a little bit more about Chaplin himself. Chaplin had four wives and 11 children. And there were some controversies related to his love life, including paternity claims and the fact that Chaplin's first wife was 17 when they married. Chaplin was 29 at the time. His second wife was just 15 when they were married. And they married, in fact, to avoid his arrest for sexual relations with a minor when she became pregnant. And his fourth wife was only 18 when she married the then 54-year-old Chaplin. So there was a lot about his love life that left something to be desired. No pun intended. But even recognizing that Chaplin, as many, 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 arguably all, of the individuals for whom we've done episodes about on this podcast, even though he had his imperfections, even though he fell short of the mark that many of us would strive for, there's a lot of wisdom in the things that he said in this quote, and that's why I included it. Suffice it to say, Chaplin had a way of raising eyebrows. But above all, he was a talented actor. If you've never watched his films, you're missing out. I know they're black and white. Many of them are silent. Some of them have old, crappy subtitles with them. But they walk this beautiful line. If you really stop and really look at the films, they showcase both an advanced, for their time, that is, set of cinematic skills and enduring themes and messages. And perhaps I'm more highly attuned to this than I normally would be, but I'm taking a course right now in the study of war films. And that's been enlightening to me, not just from the perspective of seeing some films that I've never seen before, but just from appreciating cinema. It's so easy to sit, and, and oftentimes it's the point to just sit and let the movie wash over you. You don't have to think about, oh, what beautiful framing for that particular shot, and oh, that dialogue is very moving and compelling. Well, I suppose the latter is probably true. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably think about words... Maybe not as much as I do, but hopefully quite a bit. So maybe the dialogue does jump out at you. But there is an art to directorship and production and musical scoring and all of those things. And the way that scenes are framed and the images they evoke and the, the feelings that they evoke in the people that, that watch them. And Chaplin was very good at this. And remember, he's making films in the early part of the 20th century. Recall that he started in completely silent black and white films. Even this film, The Great Dictator, is in black and white, or grayscale, I suppose. But it's a fantastic film. It's entertaining, it's funny, it's sad, it's humorous, but also compelling. And this speech comes at the end of the film. And thankfully, Chaplin let go of his resistance to adding sound to his films in the 1930s when it was becoming more in vogue. Or we might not have even heard the spoken quote of his around which we base this entire episode. And The Great Dictator was released in 1940, October of 1940 to be exact, just over a year after Britain had declared war on Germany and World War II was in full swing. And it's important to understand the setting in which this was released. Both Chaplin and Adolf Hitler had long been compared to one another. If you've seen Chaplin, you know that he had that characteristic narrow black mustache. So did Adolf Hitler. 
In fact, they were born just days apart and both carried their own rags-to-riches type of story. And as I saw it put in multiple locations as I was researching for this episode, one used his talents to entertain, while the other used his for unspeakable evil. And the film depicts two characters, both of whom are played by Chaplin himself. One is a soldier on the war front, who actually turns into a barber in the Jewish ghettos through a weird twist of memory loss. The other, the ruthless dictator Adnoid Heinkel, modeled after Hitler himself. And I won't ruin the plot entirely, but the two end up in vastly different places. They begin in vastly different places, to be sure. But through the, the cinematic plot, they end up in completely opposing places to where they once were. And today's quote is an impromptu address delivered by the barber who was mistaken for the dictator. I know this sounds confusing. Believe me, it makes sense if you watch the film, and it's quite humorous how it happens. But the Jewish barber ends up in front of a slew of microphones, dressed in the garb of the dictator himself, and is thrust there to give an impromptu speech. And what he delivers is what this episode and the next are about. And remember that this is just half of the quote, and we'll cover the balance next week. And because it's a long quote, I'm going to play it again one more time for you, and try to pay attention to the different segments of the speech and listen to the things that the character, again, this is a Jewish barber who, through a comedic plot twist, ends up in the uniform of a dictator in front of microphones, and a speech is demanded. And he, off the cuff, says the following. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. And it's worth noting and very important here to know that Chaplin took a lot of flack for the addition of this particular scene to this film. Because up until this point, it had had that slapstick comedy type routine that we all associate with Chaplin's films. It's a wayward soldier who gets lost in the fog. 
who ends up rescuing an injured pilot. And the whole story just kind of goes on from there. There's romance and all kinds of interesting and, and fun things. But the movie flows, and it's very lighthearted. Well, there's a few scenes of, of challenge, but it's fairly lighthearted. And then you get to this scene at the end. And all it is, if you watch the film, and you can see this particular quote online, all it is is Chaplin with the mustache and a uniform that looks surprisingly like the brown shirts that you associate with World War II and Adolf Hitler's Germany, standing in front of the camera with these microphones in his face. And he starts off at a very even keel. And he starts talking about how he doesn't desire to be a dictator. And that he wants to see people be happy and healthy and take care of each other and revel in each other's happiness and not each other's sorrows, etc., etc. And remember, we're in 1940, we're in October of 1940 when this film was released, and of course the filming for this happened prior to that, so Chaplin is filming all of this in the lead-up to World War II. And if you recall, especially in Great Britain, Neville Chamberlain, the famous appeaser-slash-pacifist who believed a lot of what he was sold by Adolf Hitler and who sought not to go to war over the things that Hitler was doing and the buildup and all the intelligence and all of those things, he was not alone. He was but representative of the appeasing movement that was going on at the time. People remembered, this is a generation that remembered the horrors of World War I, the scars across their countries that had yet to heal, and the impact that it had had socially and politically and economically around the globe. Nobody wanted to go to war again. But there was Germany building its forces with Adolf Hitler at the helm, seeking to take over Europe, take over the world, all of the delusional things that he set out to do to purify Germany, to expunge it of the, the Jewish and the gay and the undesirables, as he, as he often called them. And so prior to this, in the movie, everything is happy and lighthearted. And then things turn. You get to this speech at the end, and it gets serious, and it gets serious in a hurry. And there are a lot of people that didn't like this. Remember, this is a challenging time for people. They'd been watching Chaplin's films for decades at this point, some of them. And they had always, as you would, it would be as if in the midst of something that we in this generation would recognize, in the midst of a Harry Potter film or in the midst of a Marvel movie, there were a soliloquy of sorts by one of the characters that is absolutely laced with political language. It's directive and it's challenging and it addresses the, addresses the moment. And some people didn't like that. They wanted Chaplin to stick to his work. They wanted him to make funny movies. As the old saying goes, make us laugh, clown. Tell us a joke. Right? We don't want your political insights. We don't want your opinions. We don't want you preaching at us for three and a half minutes at the end of a film that we've laughed through and connected with, and now you've gone and ruined it. That was the sentiment among some people at the time. And Churchill himself, Winston Churchill, had only just come to power in Britain. He had only just set the course for the country and was trying to right the ship after Neville Chamberlain was ousted from the prime ministership and to confront this horrific evil. And the war at this point was only just beginning. It was very far from over almost half a decade from being over, and very far from even looking winnable. Remember, the, a lot of the forces in the interwar period between World War I and World War II had drawn down. The United States was ill-prepared to fight in World War II. 
So too with Britain and France and all of the other countries, which is why Hitler had such success early on in World War II. Because the Allied nations were simply not ready to go to war. They didn't have the, man, the manpower. They didn't have the materiel. So Chaplin's character gets up and he begins to deliver this speech. And there's a few parts of it that I want to call to your attention because I think they're worth thinking about. They're worth ruminating on for, for a moment here. And Chaplin wrote and rewrote and practiced the delivery of this particular scene for a long time. By some accounts, right up until the moment of filming, was he changing the script and altering the delivery. And it's compelling. It is rare that we actually get to see the delivery of a lot of the quotes. If they come from books, we never see them written. Very rarely do we see things spoken. If they come from a movie or a TV show, maybe. This is one of those instances where I would encourage you to go look up The Great Dictator, Final Speech, and watch the three and a half minute long video. It's worth your time. Because what you'll see is somebody who clearly is a, not only a talented actor, but understood that what he was doing was going to be iconic, that potentially it would resonate for all time. And the practice and the patience and the poise and the delivery of this, every word of this particular speech is delivered with professionalism, with all of the acting capability that Charlie Chaplin had developed over decades of practice tied in beautifully in this particular speech. And again, it's not him talking to anyone, but all of us. As he says, there are millions of people listening to his voice at the time of delivery. Again, this is supposed to be a dictator delivering his speech to the masses. And he starts off with, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be an emperor. He says, that's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. He'd like to help everyone. And I think the next, and the, the four groups of people that he mentions here are very, very deliberate, selected, I'm sure, because of the moment in which this film was released. He says, Jew, Gentile, black man, white. And that is, of course, an acknowledgement of the fact that Hitler was persecuting anyone not of white Aryan descent. He was, as this film was released, wrangling them up and sending them off to concentration camps to be executed, separating families that would never see each other again, ending the lives of more than six million people in pursuit of this fanciful master race. And what is that all based on? It's all based on this idea that my happiness is superior to your happiness. And in your perspective, your happiness is superior to my happiness. Which is why he says very shortly thereafter, we want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. That's human nature. The world is a better place when we're considerate of one another. He says, in this world, there is room for everyone. And the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. He's saying we don't have to push people out of our countries. We don't have to remove them from the face of the planet. There is room for everyone. This planet can support Jew, Gentile, black man, and white. And he talks about greed. Because at the base of all of the actions that took place during World War II, as horrific as they were, greed was at the base of it. He says, our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. He is, of course, taking strategically placed jabs at Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime that was running amok in Germany and across the French countryside and parts of Poland and, and the rest of Europe at the time. And he says, the aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. It's 2022. 
82 years after this film was released. And you could replace aeroplane and radio with internet and cell phones. And it would be just as accurate today as it was then. That is a timeless quote. Chaplin's words are timeless in that way. And he closes by saying, To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. Remember, at the time, the world was starting to settle. What had been a very fluid and dynamic map for most of human history, meaning the, that borders between nations changed dramatically. All you have to do is go look at the old maps of Westphalia and some of the other early European maps when the Germanic tribes occupied large swaths of the European continent, or what we now know as the European continent. Things were starting to solidify. Cool. Nations were drawing borders, establishing kingdoms and domains. Now, the map has changed a lot since World War II, but not as much as it had in the, pre in the preceding centuries before World War II. That was progress. Establishing boundaries, establishing economies and societies was what was going on at the time. And there were people that were against that, and Hitler was one of them. He wanted his own perfect state, full of white, Aryan, perfect Germans. No one else. And he went to great lengths to achieve that. And Chaplin's speech here, at the end of the Great Dictator film, is a condemnation of that in the strongest terms. Packaged in this beautifully subtle and picturesque film that has withstood the test of time and is well worth our watching today. So think about that. The opening portions of this talk about humanity. Chaplin, on the world stage, as a well-known actor and director, is calling out to humankind in the early stages of World War II, highlighting the wonder that can be society if we're willing to reject the greed and cynicism that has brought us to the place that we're at in October of 1940. So I'm going to leave it there for you today, and we'll come back to this quote and finish it up next week in the second episode of Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator's Final Speech. But I'd ask you to think about this today. Perhaps go and watch the clip. Again, it's three and a half minutes, and you can find it online on YouTube very easily. It's worth a listen. Ruminate on it. Think on it. And again, this comes the day after American elections. And I'm not coming down on the side of any particular political party. Here you know this is not a political podcast. But think about the applicability of words like this, spoken and screened more than 80 years ago, and how they might apply to us today. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod, or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.